Hello and welcome to the Saturday Hot Sauce Podcast. He is Rich Marler. I am Connor O'Kara. Marler, round two of this great discussion. Who deserves to be the preseason first team all-SEC quarterback is the subject of today's debates down south. Why did I say round two, you ask? God. I, I mean, so the mic didn't work yesterday because it was on mute, which is a lot of fun. If you've ever recorded, if you've ever recorded an 80-minute podcast and had that information come to light after you recorded an 80-minute yeah. podcast, you know that it just makes your day that much better, and you really <sighs> feel good about it. So I say round two because this truly is our second time recording this podcast, which means we're going to have a bunch of fresh takes. And now that we've had yeah. 24 hours to think about it, I'm sure our takes so will have marinated even better. I'm just hoping that when this is all said and done, I can I can switch to another new mic again. This that would make us even better. That, that's that's my goal from this one. Shout out to our producer Will. Our mics are good. Our mics are good. But sometimes it's a little bit difficult to troubleshoot when things go wrong. So we are professionals. That's why we continue on. But it is made for a different schedule this week. We are doing debates yep. down south coming out. This came should be coming out on Wednesday. We will not be doing, and it just meant more this week. We have plans to do them in the future, but because our mm-hmm. schedule had to change, we're doing a few other things as well, uh, SDS related in terms of current content that we're trying to be able to get up as well. So our schedules are a little bit tied. So we will get back on track with those and do more SEC championship ones. Go catch up on something you haven't listened to yet. That's yeah. what you should do right now. But today we have a good debate, and we have a debate that is very topical because Hey, in case you haven't heard, we did not have SEC Media Days. At SEC Media Days, we annually forget to fill out our ballot for SEC preseason all-conference honors. We, this year, don't know when that's going to happen. I have no idea. All we saw was that tweet from the SEC. I I haven't been sent that email yet. I'm waiting for it. Now, ironically enough, we actually have the time to be able to do it because we're not dealing with a million things at SEC Media Days when they send that out. Yeah, I don't. I never. I never forgot to fill it out. I always got like. I always put way too much effort into that and started like researching. Like, I, like I would have it written down and like have like several drafts before I even showed up at media days. I was pumped. Oh, Maybe not last year because I was hungover. I was gonna say like Thursday morning was is usually what, like when I fill it out. I get the last minute yeah. email of being like, hey. You haven't done this yet, and you've gotten five emails about this. You should probably yeah. do it now before right. you go home. And then I rapidly do it. And, you know, I put my my time and effort into being able yeah. to do it. Because we a lot of the time we'll be talking about this beforehand. But in a year like this, when we don't have that available, and in a year when the quarterback situation in the SEC is all over the place. All over the place. This is a fitting discussion to have. And... For me, this isn't just about projecting end-of-year stats. We're talking about a preseason award. We're saying who is most deserving of being the first-team All-SEC quarterback heading into the 2020 season. And I don't like doing the projecting thing because teams can and actually do brag about this stuff. And if I'm going to give someone an accomplishment, I don't want it necessarily to be based just on hype. We're not talking about recruiting star rankings or anything like that. We're talking about what they've actually done in the past to get to this point. Right. Before we get to the my my parameters that I wanted to set here, do you have any thoughts on this subject as a whole as it relates to 2020 in the SEC this year? It's weird because there's so many different like 
I'm excited to talk about your parameters for one. Oh yeah, I know you. So are. many different players, um, and like and options, and I think it's 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 obviously very debatable. The main two guys I think everyone has seen in preseason magazines and 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 most talks and debates is Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, and we'll get into all of them um, as well. But I, I think it's it's interesting, and I think it's a, it's a good point that you bring up in terms of not projecting where they're going to end up. Yeah, because it's, especially in a year like this where there's so much unknown, but like. Who deserves it right now, and not just from a, hey, let's do the old media thing, like, we're like well, that guy's been here for 18 years, so let's just, you know, Hunter Renfro over there, he's going to be preseason all-SEC. But, like, who deserves it, like, actually deserves it right now before the season started, day one, game one? I, I, I like that. I like that idea. Not a prediction. If you're asking me to predict yeah. who I think is going to lead the SEC in passing, I think KJ Costello. I think the offense that he plays in with Mike yeah. Leach, it's very conducive to that. But if we're talking about who is most deserving of this title right now, it's a different discussion. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the parameters because there, there are a few. There's got to be a few. Otherwise, we'd be talking about a billion quarterbacks, and that's just not Fair. worth our time. I can't name you a preseason All-SEC quarterback if you've never played in the SEC unless you were an all-conference Power 5 quarterback elsewhere. For example, Jalen Hurts last year at Oklahoma. Perfect example. Would I have named him the preseason All-Big 12 quarterback? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Guy was SEC Player yeah. of the Year. Of course I would true have given freshman. him. Yeah, as a true freshman. I would have absolutely given him that honor. I wouldn't, however, have given that honor to Justin Fields in the Big Ten going into last year because someone who had never played in the Big Ten and had only been a backup for that point in his career Obviously, you can't just sit here and, and predict that he's going to win that award. Obviously, he won that in a landslide and was very deserving of it. Yeah. But, 40 touchdowns, one interception. It was crazy. But as we talk about preseason awards, that's why that doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily part of the equation. So, KJ Costello hasn't played in the SEC, but he was a second team all Pac 12 selection in 2018. So, under that parameter, he's good. Jamie Newman, however, is not good for this specific award. Now, before you tell me I'm the worst Georgia fans, let me first start by saying, if you want to say that you think Jamie Newman is going to be the top SEC quarterback drafted, totally fine with that. For for the record, I like Jamie Newman a lot, and I think that he is a better fit in Todd Munkin's air raid offense than JT Daniels is. I think the way that he stretches the field, as has been pointed out by uh, Pro Football Focus, Nobody returning in college football fits balls better into tight windows than J- yeah. Jamie Newman. He is pro football folks' highest-graded deep passer returning. He, Like I said, I think he's going to be a big-time big, big time success story in Todd Munkin's, Todd Munkin's offense. But yeah, I agree. what's the number one question about Jamie Newman? How is he going to do against SEC competition? That, yeah, and like pro football focus, I just I've said this several times out here before. I just assume, and you know, I don't think it's it's a, a bad assumption that they know a lot more about football than me. Otherwise, they wouldn't have all those ridiculous metrics. They wouldn't have sent me, uh, I don't know, a thousand page uh, NFL draft preview like they did that ate up all that space on my computer. Mm-hmm. They're really good at what they do. I really enjoy what they do. Um, one thing I will say is this: like this has become the biggest debate of the offseason. I think for for preseason stuff in the SEC is. You know, the, the the projections, he's projected first-rounder by a lot of people. The numbers we've talked about from Pro Football Focus, it's, it says something if it's he's the one, he's the next guy right behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. That obviously says something. And the, and the metrics, you talked about, you know, uh, I think the second um, most completions for tight windows. Like it, was, it was very, very specific stuff. 
we don't know how he's going to play against SEC competition, and I think it's a really good point by you. And you brought this up yesterday. And I'm going to steal it from you now. But the way he closed the season, yeah. and if you like, a lot of people want to look at his his numbers and say, you know, well, here's what he did against elite competition, i.e., Clemson. Here's what he did against Clemson, and it was awful. He had a terrible game against Clemson. I think he was like six of, of four, six of fourteen six of for forty-one yards. So, and he also finished. And I, I made this comment last year, and I, I looked like an idiot for doing it, but somebody said how he wasn't going to be better than Fromm. Fromm should have stayed. And I was like, well, I guarantee you can't be worse than going his last five games without over 50% completion percentage. And he did. 47%, he actually did. yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of things to like about Jamie Newman. There's also a lot of things, I think, that are valid concerns you know, about him moving forward. I think that I would take Jamie Newman over... Not I think. I know I would take Jamie Newman over some of the quarterbacks that we are going to discuss today in the conversation for first-team All-SEC quarterback, but we're not ranking quarterbacks today. I need to repeat that. We're not ranking right. quarterbacks today. I just can't... Or projecting. Yeah, or projecting. I can't sit here and give Jamie Newman that title when he has not been an all-conference quarterback in the ACC, and he is totally right. unproven against SEC competition. Another thing, along those same lines, another parameter here... They have to have started multiple games against SEC competition. This is important. That means no Miles Brennan and no Bryce Young. Yeah. By the way, both of those two guys, they could easily win this award by season's end. And if there's a way to bet on that on with our friends at Bet Online, that's right. I, I would do it. I would get on those odds and I, I would really like the 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 possibility of that happening. Right. I have only made one exception for this parameter in the past. And it was me naming Tua my oh, yeah. first team All SEC quarterback in 2018. Why did I do that? Well, you know, when you win a national championship and come back against an elite defense like that in the second half and have one of the most historic plays in college football history, I think that shows you know what you're doing. Had Miles yeah, Brennan, you know, maybe if Miles Brennan had come into the game for Joe Burrow and at halftime and led LSU to a national championship win against Clemson. Uh, you know what, we're having a different discussion today about that parameter, but right. that's not necessarily something that's happened. So those two guys are are off the board for this discussion. And I, I know that's going to piss off a lot of fans for both, uh, what do you call it, for both LSU and Bama. I, I will say that I, both kids have a lot of upside. The Bryce Young stuff has been, like, there, there are people around Tuscaloosa that are referring to him as, like, not just the second coming of Tua, but, like, just a... a transcendent generational quarterback which is really odd to hear because a program in a program that just had their transcendent generational quarterback leave and go to the draft with two leaving um the stuff with miles brennan i think again both of them could easily be at the end of the season like first team all sec they get like we saw you said jalen hurts as a true freshman it, it's been done before if you he was sec player of the year as a true freshman in 2016 maybe it could happen with bryce young yep. i don't know the stuff with Miles Brennan, um, I, I know LSU fans are really just, I don't want to say stubborn, but I don't want to not say stubborn in terms of that the offense is still in place. They got a lot of talent around him. Coach O's recruited well. Brennan's going to be great. And he's a guy that's been there for two years, and obviously have, they have a lot of faith in him. Three years. They've tweeted out some three years now. So they, they have a lot of faith in him, and I think there's a lot of confidence, at least around the program, in him. It concerns me he's only thrown one touchdown pass all last season. This only is Only one in that offense. I'll, I, I'll admit, I'm talking myself into Miles Brennan more and more. And oh, the, God, the more I see, the more I like. And 
I think Racy McMath is kind of the 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 wild card to have double digit touchdowns in the SEC this Nicky year. Nicky Sherman said the same thing the other day. He texted me right after you said that to me. I, I'm a, I've talked myself into him a lot more, reading about him and reading about his path to get to this point and the way that he has worked. And I think that a lot of the circumstances around him, while many of them will be new, I think are they are favorable. But again, for this discussion, we're talking about somebody who has never started an SEC game before. And right. you can't sit here and say, yes, first team All-SEC quarterback going into the season until we have seen it. What that also means, or another parameter, I should say, I'm not picking a quarterback who started for a losing team last year. I don't think quarterback wins are everything. And as I always say, if wins is the first thing that we're talking about as it relates to a quarterback, it's probably you know, a good sign that you're not the best quarterback. Right. That means, however, that Garrett Schrader, John Rice Plumley, whom I love and put among my Damn. top five SEC quarterbacks going into the year, really excited to see what he can do in Lane Kiffin's offense. Matt Corral, not part of this discussion. Ryan Halinski, not part of this discussion. Right. Pretty understandable. You know, if you're going to be considered one of the best SEC quarterbacks, the best SEC quarterback going into a season, you should probably be coming off of a winning season. I'd say I disagree with that because it, almost every single person you listed off was in some sort of situation that was out of their own control. John Rice Plumley was playing on a team in the toughest division in football as a true freshman and splitting time with the other guy you mentioned, Matt Corral. Which is fine. On a, yeah. Right, with a lame duck coach. And, and you know, like, as a, if you're a true freshman and you were on a losing team, like, there's a difference between being a true freshman on a team like Bama, Georgia, Florida, you know, one of those LSU. And, and I don't mean that in a rude way to the other teams, but it's like, there's already more talent in place. When you go, if you're a true freshman like Ryan Holinsky was at South Carolina, I think there shouldn't be, like that seems like a little bit of a harsh uh, parameter for somebody like that. I mean, like, because if we're going to judge it off wins and losses, I totally get the, the big picture and, and the, you know, we'll look at the full body of work. They had a losing season. We're not great. Everyone knew before that season started that they were going to have, they were probably going to have oh, a no losing doubt. season. No and then he came in and, and, and actually replaces and, and beats out Jake Bentley, who had been there for roughly 11 years, and goes on the road and beats Georgia in a game where he pretty like uh, he, he didn't got, he, he was out for basically that entire game, and they were playing with Dakari and Joyner for the entire second half. That's kind of like a all right, well, sure. Yeah, that seems like a real weird. You're shifting the parameters. He was on. Like, I mean, like, he was on the bench. He was the, the biggest upset half. of the year for a losing team. But he was on the bench the entire time in the second half. Okay. But they they won four games last year. All right, you're the one that compared to the Peyton Manning last year. So I that. said that it looked like he had been watching the Peyton Manning footwork. I stand by that. I, you know what? I bet if you sure. asked Ryan Halinski, hey, where did you learn your footwork as a quarterback? He would say, yeah. oh, I watch Peyton Manning a lot of the time because that's who he tries to look like. If it's a if it's a senior that has already started a full year, if it was like Jared Garantano who has, you know, had his his whole career at Tennessee, and they didn't have a winning record last year. I get that. I, I totally get that part okay. of the parameter. I don't. I don't think it's as fair for this one though. Fair, but also speaks to you know those are all first or second year guys mm-hmm. who they're they're not necessarily proven uh, on that level to be right. a first team All SEC quarterback. Not saying they can't be good quarterbacks, but in terms of what's working against them, that I think is a big thing. Yeah. I also don't want to pick a guy who's coming off of a serious injury. That yeah. means no KJ Costello, no Terry Wilson, no Felipe Franks. And yeah, I get KJ Costello is not coming off of the same sort of season ending injury that Terry Wilson, and Felipe Franks were. But let's be honest, even though he was banged up with a variety of injuries last year, in the time that he did play five games against Pac 12 competition, guy had 6.2 yards per attempt. All right. Like he, he didn't exactly set yeah. the world on fire last year. So 
I don't want to sit here and say that. A lot better the year before, I feel like. But this, yeah, last year was not great. Last year was just a disaster all around for, for yeah. Stanford. Not good. Not yeah. good. But because of those concerns, and we need to see those guys back healthy, what they look like when they have their legs under them, even our favorite neighbor, Terry Wilson, I need yeah. to, we need to see that first before we're giving them some but, sort of you know award or preseason award like that. So real quick, out of that group, and we should I didn't say this yesterday, but out of that group, I know that you wouldn't have any of them fit in like the, the the finalists per se mm-hmm. of what we're gonna we're gonna do. Who would you pick for for preseason out of that group? If I'm picking preseason, it's got it's probably Costello, and as much as okay. I like. Terry Wilson, I think that Costello is a little bit more proven on the Power 5 level as a, hey, put the ball in his hands, let's see what he can do. Now, there are mm-hmm. Florida fans yelling at me, what about Felipe Franks? He won a New Year's Six Bowl game two years yeah. ago with Dan Mullen, and that's something that no returning quarterback in the SEC outside of Kyle Trask can can say. Well, right. yeah, I guess I pigeonholed myself by saying with Dan Mullen, but that's not the point. My point is, in terms of the guys who I think can work with a variety of circumstances who have proven mm-hmm. that they can do it at the Power 5 level, I think KJ Costello is that guy. Now, okay. I, and I, I think that the Terry Wilson, the step that he can take this year, I think it can be reminiscent of what we would have seen last year from him. But we still need to see him healthy yeah. over the course of an entire season because yeah. that 2018 team, it didn't rely on him to necessarily do all the things that we've seen KJ Castell do in a Power 5 right. offense, or even Felipe Franks do in a Power 5 offense, where even though 35% or whatever it was of his throws were behind the line of scrimmage in 2018, yeah. he was still someone that made some big-time plays for Dan Mullen. Obviously, there are a lot of new questions about how he's going to do in this offense with Kendall Bryles at Arkansas with very different surroundings in Fayetteville than the one that he had in Gainesville. Yeah, yeah I think... Um... I, I, the one that's most exciting, I think, is John Rich Plumley, in my opinion, just to watch from like an athletic standpoint. I think the two guys that have would have the best chance at getting there at the end of the season, like you said, that I would, I, I wouldn't, I would never put Miles Brennan or or, or uh, Bryce Young at the top, but like, but people are so high. Like, I, I don't want to get on the hype train with them, but that Bryce Young kid is it looks like he's going to be pretty special. Um, and we had Matt Hayes in the podcast last week, and Matt Hayes even said. He he was predicting Bama to win the SEC if Bryce Young understood the offense. Like it was yeah. it was you know that it was contingent upon that. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, there's also a lot to be said for SEC fans that for whatever reason, like with like recruiting and especially quarterbacks, they're they're a lot like uh, they're like Matthew McConaughey from Days of Confuse. Okay, they love freshmen mm. every single year. Mm. Keep rolling in. Um, you had that one so written yeah, I mean, down, didn't you? No, it was in my back pocket. It was right. good. I just yeah. thought of it. It was good. All right. It was good. Um, but no, like, but I can't. I could see like Miles Brennan at the end of the season, maybe. Or I, I like to play with KJ Costello as well. But there I, you go. I think just from from another standpoint, yeah. If we're, and I for for the record, I actually thought that you were just talking about Costello, Wilson, or Felipe. Didn't realize that you were including oh, yeah, all, I mean, like, all of them. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I I, I love John Rice Plumley. I really do. I can't say that yep. enough. I I hope that he gets to play in a system that's going to be conducive to his skill set. I think he will, and I hope that defense actually gives him a bit of a breather. Uh, not as optimistic. How much about fun that. would he be to watch in Mullen's offense? You know, there are there are parts of that that I think I, I really like, but he still doesn't have the accuracy. You still need that's to be true. a super accurate quarterback, even though those yeah. windows are bigger. I still think that he he struggles with that, and there are certain things that 
I, I think he needs to show as a passer to, to really thrive and at least have the to give someone like Mullen that, that type of flexibility. Yeah, that's fair. The list of candidates that that leaves us with for first-team All-SEC quarterback, and again, this isn't necessarily who I believe are the top five quarterbacks in the SEC, but they can qualify for the best quarterback in the SEC right. heading into 2020. Kellen Mond, Bo Nix, Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, Jared Garantano. Again, we're not saying, we're not saying that Jared Garantano is a better quarterback than Jimmy Newman. I can't <laughs> emphasize that enough. I cannot emphasize I, that enough. I will never get over, um, like emotionally, just I, I will never get over putting him at number three uh, as the number three quarterback in the SEC from last year. Um, and again, one, these are Connor's parameters. Uh, for anyone gets mad, Georgia fans, especially because of, of the two huge incoming quarterbacks they have. But yeah, I think I think it's a good list. And I think like again, to start the season, this makes the most sense to start the list here. Don't hate me, everybody. Don't don't hate me, Georgia fans. Please don't. All right. Before we get to breaking down those guys, the reasons that they should be, the reasons that they shouldn't be all SEC quarterbacks to start the year. Marler, can you tell us about our friends at Bet Online? Guys, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, that means tomorrow is opening day for Major League Baseball. And what does that mean, Connor? It means we can get back to gambling on real sports again. Sorry, MLS, uh, and especially because the United suck right now. Sorry, table tennis. You guys aren't real sports. You're not real athletes. I I hate to say it. Well, soccer are real athletes. But tomorrow, baseball starts back, which means my gambling on actual main sports starts again. And I can't wait. If you go to BetOnline today, BetOnline.ag, set up an account. You should have already done that by now. I've set it all all quarantine. Um, you can play poker with me on the on the tables, or you can bet on the election. We talked about it. you can on every single state, literally every state. But tomorrow, opening day, my favorite bet in all of sports is: Will such and such team score a run in the first inning? It's my favorite bet. Favorite bet. They all you will. All. Don't say that. Don't jinx it already. <laughs> you got everyone's ace starting tomorrow across the board. Across the board. Don't care. If there was a way to parlay it, I would. Across the board, I'm, I'm saying no runs in the first inning. I can't wait. Make, uh, make some other bets, maybe smarter bets. I don't know. Um, over there, betonline.ag as well, but sign up today. Let's do the biggest reason that these quarterbacks should be named first-team All-SEC and the biggest reason that they shouldn't be first-team All-SEC because we know all of our listeners are going to have that in their back pocket. Let's start, yeah. with, let's start with your boy, JG, Jared Garantano. The Tennessee quarterback has an argument for him, albeit not the best one. Okay, it's how good he's been on third down in his career. If Our, you could watch him just on paper, like he's he's great. Like if, if you didn't have to watch him physically play the game, which is always a good sign for a quarterback. <laughs> you don't actually have to watch him play. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, same with Jameis Winston. How good he's been on third down was broken down by our own Michael Bratton, who does this every single year for SDS. Each of the last two years, Garantano led the SEC in third down completion percentage. He was 65% on third down each of the last two seasons. 24 of those plays went for first downs. His accuracy has always been why people are so high on him. Pro Football Focus has him as college football's only returner with 500 attempts and less than 15 turnover-worthy plays since 2018. It's pretty good. It's a lot to fall in love with. Number three quarterback in the SEC, right? 
it happened to me. Broke my heart. You know what I mean? Just you can't tr can't trust him. Can't trust a cookie named after a woman, okay? Uh, and you can't trust Jared Garantano in the off season. What? I I. It's from the office. Pecan Sandies. Remember when Kevin? Oh about gosh, that's a great great reference. Um, so it really was all about the cookies the whole time, yeah. wasn't it, Kevin? Mm -hmm. um, no. So Garantano, like this is exactly what happened to me last year, and I'll just admit it. I got I. You know, I love doing these deep dives and, and getting ready for the season, looking at all these different stats, and I was like, damn, Jared Garantano is a lot better than people are thinking. And, there, you know, there's something to be said for that, for, for all the optimism and hope that I brought into the world with that, that take. It was wrong, though. It was the wrong take. And, and he's, he's a guy that, like, you, you did talk about with how his accuracy is great. He's, he's also had, as you said yesterday, three different coordinators in three different years. And he's also had just a terrible offensive line for for every single year he's been there. They've just gotten beat up, especially two years ago. I think a, there's a lot to be said for how much more talent will be around him this year. Yeah. And, and and the offensive line, I've said it several times on the podcast this offseason, could be one. It, I think it's going to be the most improved in the country. It might be the best in the SEC, maybe the country at the end of the year as well with all the talent they have coming in. They should have a much better running attack. Where I get concerned with, with Jerry Garantano is – in big moments, in, in, in big times, for whatever reason, he, he has a tendency to either disappear or make just an absolutely un... Just you, mistakes you can't make. Just you, absolutely no excuse for. We saw it in the Tennessee-Bama game where he went rogue on that quarterback sneak. Um, you know, the start of the Florida game a couple years ago when they had like six turnovers, I think it was. If he can avoid stuff like that, maybe he will be fourth on this mm -hmm. list. The argument against him is an obvious one. It's how maddeningly inconsistent he has been. And I think that's shown in a variety of ways. We've talked about it before. He takes too many hits. As much as we yeah. praise the kid for being able to get up hit after hit, he still doesn't necessarily have that, <laughs> that ability to recognize when guys are open soon enough. Yeah. And that has been sort of his downfall at times. Someone who has started in 25 games and appeared in nine others and he has just 32 touchdown passes and just over 5,000 yards. That That is, I mean, those are Heisman-worthy numbers from, like, the early 90s, apparently. But still, <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is that is so surprising to me. Um, and I tell you what, like, again, we talked about all the things he has around him. How how does it look this year without his top two receivers that are oh, going to NFL with yeah. Marcus Callaway and Joan Jennings? Um yeah, I mean, he really is a frustrating guy. And, and also, this guy, more than anyone else on this list, has the potential to, for not only for us to look the dumbest at the end of the year like I did last year, but also he might not even start game one. That's another great point. The quarterback battle in Knoxville is a mystery, and it was a mystery six months ago before all of this stuff started. Mm -hmm. Then we didn't get a chance to see Tennessee have a spring yeah. practice, have a spring game. And we're still wondering, all right, in this weird offseason, is Jared Garantano going to be the guy to start? Because it kind of seems more likely than, I know Tennessee fans are excited about him, but Harrison Bailey, who has not necessarily gotten the same sort of reps that a, a true freshman early enrollee would usually get. JT right. Shroud still factors into the situation. I, I think that there are a lot of questions to be asked with the quarterback position moving forward at Tennessee. And just what a good quarterback at Tennessee 
yeah. has to do and what what exactly is going to be relied on or how much is this quarterback going to be relied on this year we really don't know and Garantana no. last year even during that win streak when at times you know Jeremy Pruitt is still figuring out the right ways to use him and he's just so inconsistent even go in the bowl game when he gets benched in the middle of the bowl game and then put back in a little bit later and you're like wait what that but that kind of sums it up well and what the back-to-back games remind me like the back-to-back games he had career day against mizzou goes off against mizzou over 400 passing yards great great win for tennessee on the road gets emotional in the post-game press conference talking about the the death threats that his family had been getting and all that stuff and you just kind of realize man this kid through this kid has been through a lot and he didn't have to stick yep. around for all this crap and, and and he did and you give him a lot of credit for it and then a week later he follows it up with a six of 17 performance against vandy at home <laughs> and if not for eric gray not going yet. off that day and having just a career day we would have been talking about that a lot more but that that's jared garantano in a nutshell right there yeah that's that's fair that, that is that's very fair so let's let's move on to somebody who I, I think is a little bit more realistic for this discussion. Not someone who has nearly as much experience as Jared Garantano, but Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback, has an argument for the first team All SEC honor. It's that he has had a small but extremely productive sample size. Now a lot of people are going to get caught up in the two pick sixes. I, I get it. But if you're just looking at the three games they started against Power 5 competition in 2019, 10-2 to TD-INT ratio, 897 passing yards, 10.4 yards per attempt, 70% passing. Alabama averaged 40 points in those two games to end the season against top 25 defenses away from home. Seven of those touchdowns belong to Mac Jones. SEC Pretty good. It was better than people remember, I think. SEC StatCat had him as the SEC's best mid-range passer. Great follow. Go follow SEC StatCat on Twitter if you are not yet. There's an underscore in between SEC and StatCat. Um, Also had Mac Jones as the highest highest explosive pass rate in the SEC and the smallest interceptable pass rate. That just tells me, you know what? Dude is pretty accurate, and he knows how to get the ball in his playmaker's hands. And that's yeah. exactly what Bama needs a quarterback. And, and here's as as with as is with anything involving Alabama, um, there's going to be arguments made immediately against anything that makes the, especially quarterback look good. Well, he's got all he's got four future first round receivers. He's got five stars all over the offensive line. Like they, they make him look better. We heard it with Tua last year, and we heard it with Tua for his entire career. If you don't think we're going to hear about it with Mac Jones. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like that's that's people are going to try to downplay and water down anything great that this kid does um, before he even gets a chance to start. I think this kid is is going to be really good. I I don't think Bryce Young is going to start. I just I, I don't. I think Bryce Young is also you know very talented, all that good stuff. Mac Jones is a guy that like his, the players around him love him. He's a really good team guy. And you brought up the the stats he had against three Power Five opponents: Arkansas, Michigan, Auburn. The more important numbers from those games is Auburn and Michigan. When you play Auburn on the road of like a week after, two weeks after, two are going down for the rest of the season, and that whole program, like like the fan base, the program, all of it felt like it was like broken and in disarray. And you're going on the road to your arch rival to close out the season. It's weird. Like, I, I, if we win, does it matter? If we don't, does it matter? Like, you know, all this stuff. This kid comes out and throws four touchdown passes, 
over 330 something yards, was electric all day and just kept coming back and coming back and coming back after throwing the two pick sixes. And it was one of the most impressive performances I've seen, I think, from, from like a, well, I would say a backup quarterback we saw the national championship. But <laughs> um, it was, it, that was my favorite part of the day. And it was a terrible loss, you know, if you're a Bama fan. But that was one bright, shining moment of the day was that that kid showed so much heart, so much guts, and, and is a really talented quarterback, as we saw. Then you play Michigan. Both those teams are ranked top 30 in the, in the country in defense, and he lit both of them up for an average of 330 yards passing and had a total of seven touchdowns and two interceptions, right? And, and people will say, well, immediately, you know, like the two, they want to harp on the two pick sixes or want to talk about all the talent he had around him. I have news for everyone that has, has that opinion. The two first-rounders they had last year that you, you, you use that argument with, they're gone. There's two more first-rounders at receiver. Yep on the roster this year that aren't going anywhere. So he still has a lot of talent around him, um, and that entire team is a chip on their shoulder. I think Mac Jones, he has the potential to put up like a really, really good season. I was very impressed being there for the Citrus Bowl and watching that game play out where Sarkeesian had that play scripted from the jump where you knew they were going to... Yeah, that was the most obvious thing in the world for even people with half a brain like I have could spot that they were going to take advantage of a single high safety, and Mac Jones was more than capable of hitting Jerry Judy in stride Mm -hmm. wide open, and sure enough, they do that from the jump. Here's something that we've never talked about before, and I don't know why it's just, it's taken me until just now to think of this. Gus Malzahn repeatedly said throughout this this past season that, one of the best defenses that Auburn's ever had. And and I don't disagree yeah. with him. I, I think it was tremendous with Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, all those guys, KJ, KJ Britt as well. And we think about how that game played out, the Iron Bowl played out. Unbelievable move at the end, strategically speaking, that Gus yeah. pulled off, where he is able to get the, the 12 men on the field sort of deal, trick Bama. I think you know where I'm going with this. He did not want to punt the ball back to Alabama, not just because they had a, would have, well, you didn't necessarily have to punt the ball to Jalen Waddle. He could have punted the ball out of bounds. That defense that he thought was so good, he didn't even want to give a chance to try and stop Mac Jones. I, I'm, I'm, no. I, I'm just saying, savvy move, savvy move. But yeah. if, his, if, if he thinks his defense is lights out and that, that offense isn't going to do anything, then he's, he's confident and he's like, all right, just punt the ball. Normal, we'll go get a stop, three and out, right. good to go. That had to be in the back of his mind. Look, Mac Jones has been really, really good. I know he's made two big mistakes in this game, but you didn't want to give the ball over to him at the end. And even on the road like that, I think that says something about where Mac Jones is and maybe he's a little bit further along than people realize. Yeah, and it's, again, like, it's just weird. The arguments that are made against him, it's such, it seems like there's always such a moving target because – you know, the Auburn defense that you brought up, a great point. Because Auburn's defense last year was elite. And if you talk about, like I, I said the other day, I didn't think it was that elite, in my opinion. Because if you look at the, where it ranked statistically in the SEC, it wasn't at the top at all. Like, it, it, in, in almost any category. Um, that being said, we obviously know it was a great defense that had four guys go to the NFL draft. They had two guys go in the first round. That That is the best defensive line I think I've ever seen if, in terms of a talent standpoint with uh, besides maybe the one Clemson had it two years ago. Best three-man defense Marlon Davidson. Yeah. It was incredible. Um, but, yeah, that being said, like, so and you, the first thing anyone talks about, like if you, if you downplay how great that defense was, is well, look what they did to LSU. LSU with this historic offense, they, they put up the most points, most yards, all this other stuff, and Auburn held them to 23 points. That's great. In the same, you can't really make that argument about how great it was and, and, and downplay 
what happened in the Iron Bowl because a backup quarterback came in and put up 45 points and it was 67% for 335 yards. Yeah, like I, I know the two pick sixes really like were not a great – that was not ideal. Not ideal. Not ideal for, my, for Mac Jones or my heart rate. But that being said, I don't think those two passes characterize his overall ability at all. Like, I mean, he definitely sh- – it, it helped Auburn win the game, but I don't think that that's who he is as a quarterback at all. It, it, it should not overshadow the rest of the game. The argument against him is the same argument that's for him. It's a small but extremely productive sample right. size. He essentially had two starts against legitimate Power 5 defenses. Apologies, Arkansas. That was not a legitimate Power 5 defense last year with John the Don Chavis. It just wasn't. One of those defenses hit a month to prepare for. The other, yeah, we saw that we saw the two backbreaking plays that, that you can't make in that game. And it was not necessarily, you know, the, the interception where he throws it off Najee Harris's back. Look, I get that it's it's a protection breakdown, and that, that sucks. Obviously, he's got to be able to take the sack in that spot and not yes. just throw it at the back of his running back in the flat. But the other argument, of course, is how much of it is just playing with these insanely good receivers, which you know I think that we're going to look back on that group of four Alabama receivers and say it's easily one of the best groups of four that we've ever seen at the receiver yeah. position in college football history. He essentially had one meaningful start against SEC competition. And look, there are people that aren't necessarily sold on him as the starter. I am for now. I don't get that. The The problem that I have with, with that, though, is that if you're saying, okay, you don't think he's going to be the starter by the end of the year because you think Bryce Young is going to be there, then right. we're getting into the projecting thing again. Mm-hmm. And to be like, oh, well, Bryce Young's going to be starting by midseason, I think for this argument... That, that's dumb. Now, if you want to say, I don't yeah. think he's going to throw for 30 touchdown passes because I think Bryce Young's going to factor into it, totally different discussion. But right. as of right now, what we've seen from him last year in a very small sample size, I think I think the four outweighs the against. And I give him the benefit of the doubt in a lot of these things. Yeah, I would agree. And I don't think he deserves to be number one on this list at the preseason part at all. I, I, I don't think he's earned that. And I don't think he would even necessarily be the the best option from a talent standpoint. But that being said, again, like you bring up the pick sixes, again, I just want to reiterate. What happens if in that game they don't get an extra second put on the clock, Bama doesn't doink a field goal at the end that is that you and I could have made and all of our listeners could have made. I couldn't have made that. And Mac Jones goes on the road despite throwing two pick sixes and still beats a top 15 defense, a ranked team, and their arch rival after the best quarterback in program history goes down, like I feel like we're talking a lot differently about Mac Jones then. I just want to see what would happen if Gus had had to punt at the end there. <laughs> would have been interesting. They earned the win. Yeah. Kyle Trask, the argument for him, somebody who has had a lot of arguments made for him this offseason. In my opinion, there is no returning SEC quarterback who had a better 2019 season than him. 25 mm-hmm. touchdown passes, even though he essentially had 10 and a half games. He started 10 games. He essentially played in like a quarter against Tennessee Martin, played in a quarter in that comeback win against Kentucky. But to me, the thing that that is really strong, and it's something that no nobody else on this list really has. Even Jamie Newman, KJ Costello, mm-hmm. those guys have struggled with consistency. Kyle Trask was unbelievably consistent. How many games did he have worse than 60% accuracy? One. That's it. 
It was when he had 310 passing yards and three touchdown passes at LSU. How many games right. did he have worse than 146 quarterback rating? One game. It was the Orange Bowl victory in which he had 342 total yards. His losses were at LSU, arguably the best team in college football history, and a neutral yeah. site game against the number one defense in America. And oh, by the way, in those games, he averaged 284 passing yards and he had a 5 to 1 TD to INT ratio. Given his lack of Say that again. Say that again. Okay. His losses were to, at LSU, arguably the number one te- or the best team in college football history. At and, night, Death Valley at night. Yeah, and, and a neutral site game against the number one defense in America, and all Kyle Trask did was average 284 passing yards and have a 5 to 1 TD to INT ratio. I so this whole group of people that have come out, I call them anti-traskers. Okay, anti-anti-traskers. Mm-hmm. I don't understand this movement. Topical and why people hate him, or don't like that they don't hate him, but why they don't want to even respect him at all. And I'll admit, like like we first started looking at this, we were going to rank our top five quarterbacks at the beginning of the year, like in January, right, when we had so much hope and promise for mm. this year. Um, but we, I looked at. I, trash and i was like i mean i don't know i just he doesn't he's not like a sexy dude okay you know, like he's, he doesn't do anything that like is super wowy or does anything like beauty's in the eye of the beholder but yeah go ahead he's okay he's not in no way is he sexy in any form but regardless that kid as you said was super consistent and i remember going through numbers and looking at it i was like this kid why is he not getting more love like he he is like put up some fantastic fantastic numbers and again his numbers you said against those two teams specifically there's a bigger bigger sample size that I think is the most important thing for me looking at Kyle Trask, and that is this four-game stretch that he had, right? Because you, you, already, you already hit the nail on the head. He had almost 3,000 yards passing in just 10 games last year, okay? That was good enough for second most in the, uh, in the SEC, um, and, and obviously the most returning. 25 touchdowns in just, again, a limited sample size. The four-game stretch against Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia. Three of those teams are ranked. Two of those games are on the road. And by the way, they're all ranked within the top 15. Kyle Trask had, he was responsible for 64.7% of his team's overall yards and scored 11 of their 14 total touchdowns. In When they needed him most, not at the beginning of the season when he wasn't even the starter, but when they needed him most, whether it was Kentucky or the rest of the season, he was fantastic. And he didn't do stuff to cost them mm-hmm. games. Yep. Give him the Kentucky win, and he's 11-2 and with a New Year's Six Bowl win. It is pretty good for a guy who did not have an entire offseason with the ones. Yep. And that was something that I thought going into this year was going to benefit him a lot. Now, obviously, it's been a really weird offseason, but yeah. he did all that stuff too, as Florida fans would tell you, with an offensive line that wasn't very good at all. And Yes. Yeah, well, look, and that's something we brought this up yesterday, um, and I, I wish we would have brought it up earlier. But, like, that is something that is cannot be said enough. The fact that he was able to put up those numbers and have the 16th best passing office in the country when your rushing offense was ranked 113th overall in FBS. They were terrible. Terrible. And, it again, with the accuracy. Across the board, his numbers were in the top five in the SEC. I think actually maybe top three in the SEC. And – he did it with a, like, he had to put the team on his back for the most part. You know what I mean? I know he had a great receiving core, all that. When you're you're basically one-dimensional on offense and you can't move anyone off the line of scrimmage, that says a lot that your quarterback's able to have those good of numbers. 
Kyle Trask is going to hope to find his 2020 version of Van Jefferson. That's a big question I have moving forward with how great of a route runner he was, something he definitely needs. There is an argument against Kyle Trask, and it's one that if you're if you're an, uh, an anti-Trasker, as you would say, you, you you've probably made. His deep ball limits his upside. SEC StatCat yeah. had him down for only 8% of his yardage coming on deep throws. He threw 6% of his throws 20-plus yards, and 30% were behind the line of scrimmage. Like I said, Felipe Franks was up, I think, in the neighborhood of 35% of his throws behind the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. That is the Dan Mullen offense. Pro Football Focus hates contrast. They are definitely <laughs> anti-trasters so um, because of the lack of proven deep ball. They had Kyle Trask as the number 66 quarterback in America last year. That's it. Pro Football Focus didn't even have him in the top half of the SEC. Why? Because they had him charted for 22 turnover-worthy passes. Couple that with the lack of deep ball prowess, where he only had nine, as Pro Football Focus calls it, big-time throws. That isn't great, and he had the lowest rate of throws outside the pocket among returning Power 5 quarterbacks, which you really don't think of for a typical Dan Mullen quarterback. Yeah. But there are things that suggest, hmm, you know, maybe he doesn't necessarily have the same ability to take the top off a of defense like a right. Justin Fields, like a Jamie Newman, like a Trevor Lawrence, and we can't, even Sam Howell, who was tremendous throwing the ball downfield yeah, last year. Very well deep. Maybe there's something to be said for that, and maybe this is as good as Kyle Trask can be, and maybe it's this offense that has very good favorable surroundings to a certain extent, did not have the yeah. offensive line, did not have the running game to turn and rely on, but maybe that is what should make us think, eh, maybe some regressions do. And even if those turnover numbers go up, which I think that that could happen, I absolutely do. Yeah. I think his, his turnovers were a little bit less than what I thought they could be last year. And that was without even knowing the 22 turnover-worthy passes number. But right, I'd still say that there's a case to be made that you would take a lot of that that downside and you would try and build around all of those positive attributes. And if there's somebody who I trust in the SEC to, yeah. to build around a quarterback strengths, at this point, it's Dan Mullen. Yeah, and it just I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. He's a terrible recruiter. We all know that. But like this, I think this can't get a five star with with this guy with Kyle Trask and Kellamon, especially. There's a difference between between making an argument that's based in like there's the stats that somebody has, or you don't think they're they don't project well. Like you said, like they can't take the top off a of defense. And and to be fair, if you couldn't take the top off a of defense with those receivers last year at Florida. That and four of them are gone, whether it be the NFL draft or graduation. I don't know how you really feel super confident he can do it this year without them. But still, if you if you can't look at his entire body of work, a backup quarterback coming into the season that has, is just thrown into action against Kentucky because it's horrible injury and all this other stuff. That makes no sense to me. Like it just the kid had a, a phenomenal year, and I, I think it, it was he deserves more recognition uh, than he gets. And I, I honestly think I said this yesterday. I'm going to bring it up again. Jake Fromm is somebody we just, we celebrate to no end. We celebrated when he was in college to no end about how great he was for this Georgia team and, and this offense and how he was able to, we didn't want to call him a game manager, but he, he was able to lead this offense and, and do so many things well. And people look back on Jake Fromm's career and, and he's known as like a winner and, you know, just other things like that, that would highlight his career record at Georgia versus his actual physical talents. 
Kyle Trask is a better quarterback than Jake Fromm. Kyle Trask Ooh. in Georgia's offense with that much talent around him would have put up re- way better numbers. Way better numbers than Jake Fromm. And the reason I'm on this kick is because yesterday you brought up the fact, I said, we were talking about his numbers against Georgia. Um, and you said, yeah, well, we've already seen them play. Jake Fromm, you know, he, out, he outplayed him that, that day. Because guess, Kyle Trask is going against the number one defense in the country and Jake right, Fromm right, right, wasn't right. necessarily, yeah. Right. And you look at those numbers, and I think Fromm was around 67%, like 20 of 30 for, for 280 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Kyle Trask was 21 of 33 for 260 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. So I don't think it's that hot of a take, to be honest. I, I think that when you, when you, if you're being honest and objective and realistic with what we're looking at, I, I think he's on par with somebody like Jake Fromm. And, and we talk about Jake Fromm like he deserved to be at the top tier of quarterbacks in the SEC last year. Bo Nix, a guy who has been considered by some uh, Fox Sports analysts to be a better quarterback than Kyle Trask. The argument for Bo Nix, if you're making it, besides... Hold on, touch on that real quick. Somebody at Fox Sports, I forgot who it was, but they did that whole top five players each position. I think it was Matt Liner. And they had Bo Nix ranked at the top five. I think it was Matt Liner and Reggie... Was it both the USC guys? It was... Not top five in the conference or the division no, nationally. or the state. Top five nationally. Mm. The argument for Bo Nix is that no returning SEC quarterback had a win better than his best two. I, I, I think that what he did against Oregon and then also having the win against Alabama, if you're looking at just returning SEC quarterbacks, even Kyle Trask, who we just talked about, did not have a win better than either of those two, and it yep. was well documented in some of the plays that Bo Nix made down the stretch. I, I do think that there, there's something to be said for having a flair for the dramatics, the clutch mm-hmm. gene, whatever you want to call it, and I think Bo Nix has it to a certain extent. We saw it against Oregon, we saw it against Bama, and even Georgia, where for a lot of that fourth quarter, we really rallied that team back. There was a, a, a significant amount of time where it looked like Bonix could do no wrong. That's why he was the SEC freshman of the year, even though there's no reason he should have been over Derek Stingley. That was a crock of crap. Yep. But winning nine games as a true freshman in the SEC West is not an easy thing to do. And there are a Agreed. lot of things, a lot of landmines you could step on to make that not happen. He and Kellen Mon lead the SEC among returning quarterbacks in what I call the most ways to beat you category. Okay. I think that they can throw the intermediate routes. I think they can hit on the deep balls. I think they can break off a 50-yard run with their legs. I think they can do a lot of things over the course of a game to beat you. And that is not yep. always an easy thing to game plan for. But the arguments against Bo Nix are much more obvious. It's never a good sign when wins are the best thing in your favor. And I feel like for Bo Nix right now, that, that's what it is. Nix... If you're putting him as the first team All-SEC quarterback, you're probably talking something about his wins or about his five-star potential and not what we actually saw on the field last year because, in my opinion, he had ideal surroundings. He really, really did. He had an extremely good defense that really paved the way and kept them in a lot of games that they should not necessarily have been in against elite competition. Five starters he had returning on the offensive line. They allowed the fewest quarterback hits among Power 5 teams. Don't tell me that Bo Nix with that offensive line was an elite runner because he averaged 24 rushing yards per game with that offensive line. He was 49th among FBS quarterbacks in rushing yards. He was the worst among SEC quarterbacks at breaking tackles as a runner. That stat via StatCat, SEC StatCat. 
Some might say, well, why can't he? Why, why isn't he 2017 Jake Fromm? If you recall, Jake Fromm was yeah. a true freshman quarterback who came in and, and relied a lot on the ground game and the defense and made some big-time throws, and we praised him for it. They ran the ball 69% of the time that year. 69% Very of nice. plays that year. Very nice. The difference is that Jake Fromm averaged 9 yards per attempt, and Bo Nix averaged 6.7 yards per attempt. Bo Nix was number 84 in America in passing passing efficiency. Jake Fromm was number 9 in the country. Pro Football Focus had Bo Nix graded as the number 105 passer in college football. And he was, yeah. Oh, that, mm-hmm. mm, he, so not great. He was also the 128th. He ranked, he ranked 128. This is not an objective ranking, this is a stat. Um, or subjective ranking. He, he ranked 128th in FBS out of 130 teams in completion percentage from a clean pocket. Not great. No, it's not great. Like, so listen, I, I think there's a lot to be said that is like likable about a guy like Bo Nix. I, I think if you're a freshman, like you said, in the SEC West, winning nine games is very difficult to do. And it is it's it says a lot about that kid that he was able to do it and be this be the starter from day one. Um, anytime you have multiple quarterbacks that you're supposed to be competing with transfer out to another school, I, I think that's a, an impressive impressive stat to keep on the resume. And, and Bo Nix was able to do that last year. I think he'll get a lot better than than what we saw last year because at times, you know, it like it drove me crazy in like the Iron Bowl because Will says as our producer, he always made a really good point about him is he does like five things in each game that are both really, really, really good. And then he does like five other things in each game that are like really, really bad. Like I just, he'll put a ball into a tight window. Like how the hell did he just make that throw? And then he'll do something just, you know, a a costly mistake or, 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 or take a sack or whatever. And something that just absolutely hurts the team. I think that, when you have somebody, I think maybe the most underrated receiver in America with Seth Williams, up there, and you have one of the better duos in the in the SEC at least with Schwartz and and Williams coming back, not enough is being made about the offensive line and how like how beneficial it was to him as a yep. first year starter, especially with having four of four four of those five starters from last year are gone. Yep. Um, and you really start looking at his numbers, like again, like. like He'll get credit for the win against Bamba. He went 15 of 30 for like 180 yards. I, I think there's just a lot of improvement, and and people should not be. I, I'm just not as high on him yet, but we'll see what happens this year. 13 of 31 against Oregon too, and 30, yeah. Well, and you brought up the, the fact about like a flair for the dramatic, and that's great. Like you want somebody to go out there and win you a ball game, and, and for sure when it when it mattered most, he did. He did it against Bama. He did it against, and he did it with his legs against Bama several times. But he did it against Oregon through the air that that last touchdown pass. What I'll say is, is it's great to have that and the flair for the dramatic, but it's it's kind of like a, like a, you know, like Jose Canseco in baseball. Like it, it's awesome that you came up in the ninth and hit that home run, but we're, we didn't forget that you struck out three times in your other three at bats before that. Glenn Allen Hill is a good example of that too. Oh, yeah, Hill. yeah, that's really good. Hit a ball like off the the rooftop at Wrigley. Yep. just insane human being. Very very much on steroids, but whatever. Hit a baseball very far. Kellen Mond. Maybe if you talk about Kellen Mond, it's as polarizing of a discussion as there is in terms of SEC quarterbacks, at least not named Jamie Newman. Um, among yep. returning SEC quarterbacks, Kellen Mond elicits a lot of reactions. People do not like Kellen Mond. Well, I think there, there, are, there are a lot of people who don't. I think there are definitely some that do. 
The argument yep. for him, if you are making the case for him, is that he is the most experienced, versatile SEC quarterback. I wrote this like 2,500-word pro-mond versus anti-mond column. The sort of definitive, hey, if you want to cherry-pick your argument, if you want to do the Clay Travis side of an argument or the Dan Wilkins side of an argument, uh-huh. if, if you want it, it, it's there. And if you want to make your point, I promise I provided every single good one, every single bad one that you could possibly come up with. There are some good ones. There are some very good ones that you're going to hear. People listening to this right now are going to hear, and they're going to have to check it, and they're going to be like, there's no way that can possibly be right Right. because of what I thought of Kellen throughout his career. (laughs) Okay, so he's got 24 more touchdowns than any returning SEC quarterback. Not that crazy. Top 20 all time. Top, Top 20, 20 all-time all in the SEC. He's got 70. 70. Pretty good. If he hits his average under Jimbo Fisher, 29 and a half, we'll round up and we'll say 30 touchdowns. He'll he, He's going to end his career with 100 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Only SEC quarterbacks who have done that are these guys. Tim Tebow, Aaron Murray, Danny Werfel, Dak Prescott, Drew Locke, Nick Fitzgerald, Chris Leak, some guy named Peyton Manning. It gets better. If he repeats his two-year yardage average under Jimbo Fisher, which is 3,490, only Tim Tebow, Aaron Murray, and Drew Locke will have had more yards among SEC players. If Kellen just improves his yards by four yards per game, he'll have more career yards than Tim Tebow. Uh, it's it's mind-blowing. Like, and we Again, we did this back in... Um, we did this back in... January, and I remember looking at these numbers, and I was like, because because people do not again want to give this kid credit for anything. Like, why is Mond on here? Why is A and M got so much hype? They do the same thing every year, and then you look at the numbers, you're like, hold up, he's he's re- the only player returning that's a two year starter and it's averaging 3,400 yards a year, 30 touchdowns a year. He he regressed, I think, a little bit from what people were hoping for last season, yep. and 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 there's a lot to be said for he he hasn't really stepped up in big games since 2018. The last time he had a, a game where it's like, you can look at a stat sheet, you can look at it on the field where he is just on. Like, like he is playing to the, the highest level of his abilities, probably a, or A&M versus LSU 2018. He has six touchdowns in that seven overtime game. At the same time, you look at 28, or 2019, and this is when people, um, I think, really started growing tired of, of hearing about him. What's not on that schedule this season that was last year are five teams ranked in the top 15. It's not, he's not going to have to go play at LSU, at Clemson, Bama at home, at UGA. He doesn't have any of those daunting, daunting defenses and teams with not a great offensive line last year, not a great running game besides Spiller. I, I think that this year, that schedule is so much easier. And this Projecting kid is video. one of the most talented, like out of anybody that we're talking about in this group, this group of five, he's the most physically talented quarterback, hands down. Hands down, arm strength, whatever you want to say, he has all that. Again, I'm not I'm not big on projecting. I don't like getting too far mm-hmm. into the schedules, especially if the schedules can go up in smoke and they can change in a moment's notice like that, which you just but never what know. What I'm saying is it's a lot easier. It's it's easy to say, well, that kid, he hasn't progressed. He only got worse. He doesn't look that great. His completion percentage went up four points from 2018 to 2019. It's easy to say he didn't look great when he played one of the most difficult schedules in the country. People, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, anybody's numbers wouldn't look good with that. All five of his losses came against teams with nine wins and defenses that finished in the top one-fourth nationally. Right. Under Jimbo Fisher as a starter, he's 12-0 and against teams with seven wins or less, which is a crazy <laughs> thing to think about. That, that shows the line yep. in the sand with Kelman. 
the only returning SEC quarterback who had 15 touchdowns and 400 rushing yards. Not even something that Bo Nix did last year. He can beat teams in more ways than anyone. And I think even more ways than Bo Nix as well. But as we know, the arguments against Calmont are strong. You mentioned this before. The biggest thing, and I think this is in, this is in the back of every SEC fan's mind who's making a case against Calmont. When have we really seen him be that dude? Besides yeah. 2018 Clemson, a game that he played really well, a game that they still lost, and maybe 2018 LSU where they had seven overtimes. Here's the problem. Under Jimbo Fisher, he's two and six in road games, true road games. His wins were against a seven-win South Carolina team in 2018 and a four-win Ole Miss team last year. Both of those games were one-score games in which AM didn't even hit 30 points. In fact, in those nine true road games that he's played against SEC competition, Kelmont has yet to hit 30 points. So that's unreal. That's that's what that's under Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Seven to ten TD INT ratio in those true road games. He's also a 53.5 pass percent passer. Passer rating is in the low 100s. He averages 27.5 rushing yards. N- not great. Not great. And this no. this is another troubling thing that is definitely working against him in the court of public opinion. Kelman is 9-7 and seven against SEC competition the last two years under Jimbo Fisher. Against SEC bowl teams, he's 4-7. and seven. Had Jay Sternberger's fumble actually been called against LSU, yep. which when we did the adjustment more, we both agreed that should have been called. He's 8-8 eight eight against SEC competition, and he's 3-8 and eight against SEC Bowl teams. That's not good. The most no. tr- If you want to just take the wins away and you say that that's, that's looked at a little bit too much, outside factors, all right, hear this out. SEC StatCat. Kellamon was number 10 last year among SEC quarterbacks in average depth of target with a clean dropback. That's not good. He averaged 7.37 yards per attempt with clean dropbacks in SEC play. That was eighth. That is super frustrating. And I guarantee you this frustrates Jimbo Fisher. For someone who has as much experience as Kellamon, that even when he's getting a clean pocket back there, it still just isn't working. And I understand part of that's on the receivers and getting separation, offensive line head issues. But still, that is a tough, tough look for someone with that much experience. That, I mean... Yeah, it, like, the last thing I'll say that's in in favor or, or like in defense of him, his offensive line last year gave up, th- uh, what was it? They gave up 34 sacks, which was ranked 13th in the SEC. They did not have a lot of help from the offensive line. However, yeah, man, like I know I was I was telling how tough that schedule was at the the ranked teams and all that good stuff, and that's all true. But to only have in those games last year, those five games against ranked teams, he had six touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, you, you look at, like, two years. He only has two wins against ranked teams as a starter at, at A&M, and it's against Kentucky the year before, and I'm blanking on the other one right now. Um, yeah, I just there's there's a lot to be said and a lot to like about him. I could easily see why it's it's uh, probably frustrating for an A&M fan and for other fans to say, like, yeah, why is he getting so much love? Because what you just talked about, you know, he ranked 10th. He ranked 10th in yards per play last year in the SEC. He was behind Garrett Schrader and both Ole Miss quarterbacks. Mm. That is not great. That's not, not good great. at all. No. The worst take that you can have about this debate, I, I, hint, I hinted at this before, but it's giving it to a true freshman. Preseason, mm-hmm. first team, all SEC quarterbacks should not be given to a true freshman. Let Bryce Young play in a game, um, especially in an offseason like this with such limited practice time. 
you know, we didn't even have a spring game to get really excited about. If you're doing that right. now, you're basing that on projections down the road or high school all-star games. And look, I'm very high on Bryce Young. Excited to see what he can do, especially if Steve Sarkeesian sticks around Tuscaloosa for a little bit. He's going to have plenty of chances to get first-team All-ACC honors for stuff he actually does against college competition. So let's let him do that first. The thing that I didn't know slash forgot about until researching this, uh, the numbers about Kyle Trask in, in his deep ball, I didn't realize the 8% of his yardage coming on deep throws and the 6% of his throws going beyond 20 yards. Again, not great if we're talking about upside. I do think that can improve. I do think that there will be more of an emphasis on giving him those opportunities with an offensive line that Dan Mullen feels like can hold up and him having mm-hmm. that experience. I think they will take those downfield chances. I also forgot that pro football focus was so down on Bo Nix. Like it, it's still, yeah. think about that. Like imagine, imagine seeing somebody in pro football focus not ranked among the top 100 quarterbacks in the country for a previous year and then being like, yeah, I think he's a top five quarterback coming into the year, the following I- season. I'm not. I'm not high on, on Bo Nix, and I give him a, a lot of flack that I think is is like deserved in some areas. But that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a no. ridiculous take. So let's find out where Marler stands on this. I think I know where you're going, man. I, so we we looked at this. I really, I really wanted to say Kellen Mond. I wanted to look at it, and it was it was definitely between Kellen Mond and Kyle Trask, just hands down. Um, and again, we we didn't bring this up. There's there's when you look at the like the projections from a talent standpoint of Kellen Mond and that throw, there's one throw in particular, Jordan Rogers went off about it. Texas happened State. The first game of the season yep. last year against Texas State. Unreal. He's rolling out to his left and and just throws an absolute bullet against his body. It wouldn't be across his body. In like 40 yards on a line, hits his receiver, front of the end zone. Un, un, maybe one of the most, if not the most impressive throw I saw from any quarterback in the SEC last yep. year. And, I, and I'm not just saying that. It was it was as impressive a throw as you'll, you'll see in college football. You know the the numbers, the career numbers. It's all great. Um, it, it, there's a, there's definitely an argument to be made for him, but when you really start looking at these numbers, and you say that after what I said about Bo Nix, especially, he's ranked behind Bo Nix in yards per attempt, passer rating, and TD to INT ratio in SEC games, and you're talking about a a guy that's going into year three as a starter last year versus a guy that's just now starting in the toughest position in football. That that's you can't be ranked that low behind a guy like that and, and and deserve to be number one. So my answer is Kyle Trask, and I think it's 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 pretty fair. I also I went a little bit back and forth with this, but I still give it to Trask as well. And I say that just because I think his floor is super high, and I think even on his worst day, you can still beat really good teams with him. Yeah. And I understand, you know, Florida fans will say Emory Jones is a more natural system fit than Kyle Trask, mm-hmm. but I, I see the throws that that kid makes. And I like the fact that, you know, how many times last year did Georgia fans watch Jake Fromm on those RPOs just have a wide open running lane that he could have easily picked up 10, 15 yards, and instead he hands it off to DeAndre Swift to just face right. an eight-man box. And DeAndre Swift even said repeatedly, yeah, facing all those all those loaded boxes, not fun. Um, no. and, and, and Jake Fromm wasn't willing to make those plays. Kyle Trask, yes, he is by no means the most mobile quarterback that Dan Mullen has mm-hmm. ever worked with. He's not even close to the most mobile quarterback on that roster. But you know what? He's actually willing to run. And if you actually look yeah. at what he did, even go back to the Orange Bowl and watch some of the plays that he made, was willing to make with his legs, I think that that at least 
helps him and gives you a better chance to win football games on a consistent basis. And I do think that he's going to keep that job. And I do think that he's somebody that has made a lot of very impressive plays so far. And I'm excited to see what he can do with an entire offseason, knowing that he is the guy in Gainesville. I just think that his consistency is at a level that no other returning quarterback in the SEC is at already. And I'll admit, look, it's a mess. The argument is a total mess. I've said that. I've said that from the jump. I think that you should just pretty much put these quarterbacks into different categories instead of trying to rank them. Ranking quarterbacks is a disaster. And I'm probably going to have to do it at some point really soon. And right, yeah, I'm not for looking real. forward to it. Look, I mean, you'd probably have to go back to um, a year like 2014, maybe in the SEC going in where Nick Marshall was the first team all SEC quarterback. Nice. Bo Wallace was the second-team All-SEC quarterback, and Dak Prescott was the third team. But this was, of course, before Dak was Dak, and he really took off in 2014. His numbers in 2013 were not good. 2011, Aaron Murray was the first-team All-SEC quarterback as a sophomore. Steven Garcia was the second-team guy, and Chris Reef was the third-team guy. It seems like that kind of a year, and I'm not saying that to, to say that SEC quarterback play is going to be bad. It could be really good. Right. It could be even better than it's been in the past couple of years. But just in terms of going into a season with proven guys, yeah, it's a bit of a mismatch. And there's going to be yeah. a lot of people that disagree. That's perfectly fine. I will say I think that there's a very, very good chance that by the end of the season, the guy we're talking about right now is not the guy who is the first team. You're probably – you know what? You could be right. Against Trask. But, yeah, I think that there's – I would if, if I had to bet money on it, and I will, you know I will. <laughs> um, I would I would put an overwhelming amount of, of money and odds on the fact that it won't be one of these guys. Interesting. Yeah, I, Miles Brennan and and Jamie Newman, KJ Costello could certainly all factor into that equation. Even don't sleep yep. on Terry Wilson. Don't sleep on Terry Wilson. And I tell you what, I, I mean they they might have to give the award for uh, for to JT Daniels and uh and, and Jamie Newman just just join. I like joint it. Quarterbacks. Do it. Yeah. There you go. First year ever. All right, Marler, you have uh, a call to get to with your your TV friends, your fancy friends, not your podcast people, whatever. Fancy about this, <laughs> yes. Uh, Casual Friday is still going to be going off as scheduled. We're hoping to reunite with somebody that we've had, we've had on this podcast before once, somebody that we've had a lot of fun with before, and mm-hmm. probably overdue to get this person back on. So hopefully we will be able to do that and talk about some current stuff. Oh, we're stuff. good for that. Yeah. Oh, we're good. Say that. Excellent. All right. Good to know that we'll be we'll be doing that. Um, so look forward to that on Friday. Get caught up on all of your it just meant more episodes. Um, all right, who's a quarterback that we probably... I ain't got no quarterback in- impressions, bro. All right? Uh, Chris Steve Tannehill. Chris Reef? I, I think it's Chris Ralph. I don't know. Either way, it might be too much. Fuck you guys. So. Correct.